Hello, everybody, and welcome to Parks Pod. My name is Austin Parkinson, and I sit here on a Monday morning physically and mentally drained after what was an unbelievable PGA championship. Tiger Woods with a blast from the past and uh, kind of funny sitting in our uh, house yesterday. Uh, I was locked in for for round Saturday and Sunday. And as I was watching the TV, my wife was in the other room. My little girl was playing with some of her toys. And as Tiger started to make his epic run uh, on that back nine, I am yelling at the TV. I'm fist pumping. At one point, my wife seemed to be uh, utterly confused. I actually scared my my little girl uh, with one of my yells when he made uh, uh, the, I think it was at 16 possibly, uh, maybe it was 15 where he, where he knocked it to about two feet. Uh, I had to calm her down after my hysterics of excitement. And I had to explain to my wife that, you know, uh, we weren't even dating the last time Tiger played like this. And uh, I had to show her and, and talk to her about the crowds and explain how loud it was in St. Louis and the atmosphere. So, man, it was special yesterday to see him play that way, to shoot a 64 and then to kind of find out that, you know, that score would have been good in almost any tournament uh, in PGA history, I think since the 50s. but Brooks Kepka, ice in his veins, uh, the 24-inch python guns. Uh, man, cannot believe how soft uh, a feel he has around the greens. And uh, his, his even keel demeanor uh, was obvious and seemed to answer the bell because not only was Tiger coming for him, but Adam Scott. So what a, what a final round of golf for the PGA and, and wraps up a, a special year. And now we get to look forward to some FedEx uh, Cup uh, playoffs and then my favorite, the Ryder Cup, which I can't wait. We're going to have to get a Ryder Cup preview. I'll probably get my buddy Dan Beret back on the cast, and uh, we'll give you a, a preview of what to expect uh, from, the, from the play in France. Hopefully, we can go over and, and take back the cup. As we transition to our guest this week, I want to back up on a little bit on my own career. Uh, as I was, was getting into the profession, uh, I was a student assistant for Coach Katie in his last year uh, as coach at Purdue. And uh, that year during the Final Four, I really didn't have any any job lined up and uh, wasn't quite sure how it worked. And, and the Purdue coaches were always kind enough to, you know, let me tag along. And, and so I got to the, uh, the Final Four in St. Louis, uh, drove myself and, uh, you know, stayed, I think, on uh, Conzo's uh, floor uh, or, or, or spare bed of his hotel room. And so I went to the convention and I look back and I always think this is a funny story because I think, gosh, what a, what a dork I must have looked like. But I was going around the convention and I'd brought my resume and cover letter. I was really organized and all excited to pass it out to, to, you know, future coaches and guys that I look up to, to, you know, Hey, I want to come work for you. And as I got to the convention, I quickly realized that this was not exactly how it works. This is not how you get jobs. Uh, other than looking like a complete, uh, dork, I did get my resume passed out to one, uh, Dane Fife. And, and if you know, uh, Dane Fife, the assistant coach at Michigan state and his personality likes to joke. Uh, he definitely loves to give me a hard time. But the funny thing was in that moment, he took it uh, and and didn't really give me a hard time and was one of the few coaches that I was actually able to pass out my my resume to. Fast forward, uh, I went on to get a, a GA job at the University of Indianapolis. And as my GA was wrapping up, um, I was looking to get uh, a Division I uh, job of some kind. And uh, Coach Fife uh, at IPFW, I think in his uh, 
possibly second year. I'm not sure exactly second or third year, but he, uh, he called me up and, uh, you know, didn't, didn't even really give me, you know, an interview just said, Hey, the, the job's yours if you want it. Uh, but I had a short turnaround and, and obviously I accepted the job and it was the start of my career. And so I owe a lot to him, uh, for, for giving my, my first opportunity. Uh, it was one year, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we, we, we had a lot of fun. It was a young staff and, uh, we did a lot of things with, from, from noon ball to playing intramural football to some, uh, some pretty funny stories along the way. But, uh, he's going to join us this week and, and share, uh, what it was like to play for coach Knight. Uh, what it was like taking a head head division one job at age 25 um, at IPFW and, and becoming a head coach and then giving up that head coaching position and going to work for the legendary Tom Izzo. So when we come back, we'll be joined by the assistant coach uh, from Michigan State, Dane Fife. First guest this week has quite the storied basketball career. He was Mr. Basketball in the state of Michigan his senior year. Went on to play college basketball for the legendary Bob Knight at Indiana University. Was one of the youngest head coaches in college basketball at 25 years old at IPFW. And now is one of the fastest rising assistant coaches in the country and works for the legendary Tom Izzo. Dane Fife, Coach Fife, welcome to the program. Thanks, Coach Parkinson. Glad to be on. You just got off the July recruiting trail. Uh, obviously, a very, very busy time. How has things changed for you um, now in the assistant role at a university like Michigan State that's had a tremendous success, a lot of pros? Are you sitting on kids uh, at games, or, or how much time do you spend evaluating? Well, I think at our level, um, you know, as you know, we, we have access uh, now to countless amounts of film that we otherwise couldn't get. Uh, we watch a lot of live events that, that obviously are playing right before our eyes as they unfold. Um, you know, to, to go back and what you talked about, the, f- the first part, um, you know, going from a head coach to an assistant, obviously it's a little backwards. It was a little backwards for me. I went, uh, as a GA at Indiana and then I went right into a head coaching role and, um, so when Coach Izzo hired me, uh, I'd never been an assistant per se, and much less an assistant at you know what's widely considered one of the top programs in, in college basketball. So, um, you know the shark-infested waters uh, that is recruiting, especially at that level, uh, was was quite a bit of an eye opener for me. Um, but the good thing we had going for us is that, uh, you know, Michigan State is, is not a, a university or athletic department that takes part in any type of uh, cheating. And, and, you know, we don't get involved with it, with that stuff. And so um, essentially you just got to be yourself. And it's, and it's about sales and it's about getting the right players. And then in addition to that, um, 
another part of an assistant's role is is to have uh, unique relationships with with each player. And a head coach obviously has his own relationship with each player, but it's it's different. You know, as a head coach, it's hard to come in and rebound for just one guy. You know, as assistants, that's what you do: mm-hmm. get a guy in, you rebound, you talk to him, you get him in your office, and spend countless hours with him. So that there, there was quite a bit of learning that I had to do, and I'm I'm thankful that I had a coach like or a boss like Coach Izzo that uh, was willing and, and understanding from the standpoint that I had a lot to learn and it was you know up to him and Dwayne Stevens and Mike Garland, the assistants, to, to really help me along and then utilize my strengths and incorporate my strengths in what I could do to help their program. Well, you mentioned having you know those connections, and I want to go back and kind of kind of go through your career a little bit. But one of those connections, you have deep roots in the state of Michigan, and you had the the unique experience of playing for your father, uh, Dan Fife, who is I correct me if I'm wrong in the Michigan you know, High School Coaches Hall of Fame. What was it like playing for your dad? And was it one of those things? Did you guys butt heads? Was it one of those things you appreciated later on? What was that experience like? Well, I'm going to lighten the mood a little bit here, AP. And uh, I've got an eight-year-old that's driving me nuts right now, an eight-year-old girl that um, keeps bugging me about buying her Tic Tacs and some other kind of junk food. But uh, we're currently in a hand-to-hand combat match, and so you might hear some 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 cries. Daddy's a dumb-dumb. Some, some trash talk. <laughs> and we appreciate Calling it. daddy a dumb-dumb. <laughs> um, so... You know, you mentioned playing for my dad, and and uh, if you know my personality, which you do, uh, it's it's hard to play for your your parent in the first place because there's a dynamic that um, you know my dad always told me that that he had to be tougher on me just because. Um, you know, other parents were watching, and the, the the element of favoritism come in comes into play if you're not careful. And um, and um, see, so you know, there's that element. And then, you know, my dad always said that if you're going to play, you're going if you if you want to play, then then you're going to play your hardest and, and commit to it. And so, uh, when you got eyes watching you every day, all practice all game and then you bring it home to the house and you know there's some some anger still spilling over from from maybe a problem at practice um it's not easy and yet i would do it all over again in a heartbeat because it it made me the player that i became and uh and it and it taught me the the value of of being totally engrossed in in in, in committing to a sport or committing to something that um, that I loved. I do that all over again in a heartbeat, but you know, there were times where my mom had to uh, I wouldn't say separate us, but calm us down a little bit. Yeah, I'm sure and, it was. Uh, uh, I'm sure it was got got feisty uh, in the uh, in the Fife house from time to time with the. Uh, you know, yeah, it was similar and, to a story that I had when I had a uh, young director of um, ops named uh, Austin Parkinson come in, and a player smarted off to him, and the next thing I knew, uh, the player was basically going to walk out because Austin hurt his feelings. And so uh, <laughs> I remember that day. I had explained to Austin that uh, he can't be. Uh, going at our players so hard they're not they're not built like him they're not uh you know in stature or in or in feelings 
I think that was uh, so, at the time we uh, circled it up and I think uh, held hands and sang Kumbaya with them for uh, for a little bit because that was uh, that was quite the day on that morning conditioning <laughs> session. It was a punishment run. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we had our brand new Dobo come in and <laughs> about cause a uh, cause a uh, cause chaos. Yeah, and, uh, you overlooked it though. You you, you guided me uh, uh, along the way, so I appreciate. I, it. I, was, I was a great mentor for many, as 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 you remember. We had the the young boiler, the hot shot, the the little fella from Kokomo, the uh, Purdue's hundred and thirty seventh all time assist leader, <laughs> Frank, and uh, career leader in lowest three point shooting percentage. No question. Just a, a young a young gunner, young hot shot. Well, we did have some nice noon ball battles, and uh, I told this story on the podcast a few weeks ago where I recently had shoulder surgery last year, and our first time playing, you know, we go, and I'm guard, you're guarding me, and you lock my shoulder up, and so I stop, and I'm like, hey, hey, you know, my shoulders are bad, and so we check the ball back up, and you tried to rip my shoulder out of its socket, so <laughs> that just shows you the level of competitiveness that you brought to the table. To follow up, we were talking about, you know, what it was like to play for your dad, but the other thing people may or may not know is that you were also a really good football player and uh, you were recruited pretty highly uh, at the college level. You know, what made you decide to play basketball and and, and what schools uh, were, were you looking at from a football perspective? Well, you know, AP, I don't want to sound arrogant, but uh, I probably could have went anywhere in the country for football as well. And, and I only tell you that because uh, that was that's the truth. But the, the reality is, is that uh, my brother Dugan was a really good quarterback, and uh, what really happened is I probably fouled, wrote his, wrote his coattails more than anything. And um, but the reason why I decided to play basketball um, was because uh, I really wasn't that, and still, still am not that good of an athlete, and uh, I wasn't built like a what what quarterbacks are today. Um, and uh, to to take that story a little further, when I told Coach Knight that I was thinking about signing late, um, so I could play football, um, his response was to grab a chair, put his leg up on the chair, and explain to me that that's the leg. His leg is the leg of a football player, and I don't have that kind of leg, and therefore. If I come to Indiana, I'm coming to play basketball. And uh, right then and there, I decided that I was no longer going to play football. Wow. Well, what you also consider from a basketball perspective, you looked at Michigan State, you looked at Michigan, you looked at Duke. Ultimately, you ended up choosing Indiana. You know, what was the what was that kind of pushed you in that direction? I was uh, when I when I was young, I grew up near Detroit. Uh, Dad played basketball at Michigan and coached at Michigan and he had a good friend by the name of Bill Frieder who uh, coached Michigan up until the 1989 uh, national champion team and uh, but Bill Frieder was his good friend and, and in 1985 we just had got our VCR and the reason we got our first ever VCR I was six years old is because Bill Frieder sent my dad a tape of Michigan's Big Ten Championship clinching game over Indiana. And I must have watched that game 
300 times uh, over the course of the next year. One, because it was the only VHS tape that we had other than Michael Jackson's Thriller, <laughs> um, which I know you know the dance to. A good um, one. A good one. But uh, I was just, and Indiana got blown out in that game. But um, I remember the announcer, and I think it was Billy Packer, and just how he spoke about, the announcer spoke about Coach Knight. And, you know, it was right then that I was became kind of entranced with Indiana basketball. And then in 87, they win the national championship right around that time. The movie Hoosiers, the great movie, all time favorite sports movie Hoosiers comes out. And, uh, you know, right there, it was just it was it was a dream to play there. When you go to IU, though, so you go to IU to play for Coach Knight. You know his reputation. You know the you know legendary status that he had. When you showed up on campus, and you already mentioned, you know, your dad was hard on you. What were those initial impressions of Coach Knight like, and what was it like playing for him? Well, much like my dad, um, you know, the, the, the advantages and the benefits far outweighed you know, the negatives. Uh, yes, Coach Knight is going to be very hard on you. He's very demanding. Um, he doesn't accept a bad practice. He doesn't accept uh, laziness. He doesn't accept mediocrity when he knows that you have more to give. And that's what I appreciated, and that's exactly what I wanted. And so everybody that's involved in the game and knows that I played that and they know that I played for coach night they always want to know what's it like and it's almost like they're expecting a expecting a bad answer uh, or an answer that's not favorable Mm -hmm. and my response is always that I'd do it all over again in a heartbeat I said if he coached women I'd send my daughter there and the reason is is because life and the realities of life you know they're they're not they're not in your favor, and so what Coach Knight taught above anything else is just the the art of focus, the art of attention to detail, um, the the dimension of of um, not accepting mediocrity from yourself, and and understanding that when it's time to lock in and concentrate and do your job, that's really what it was. And I always like to compare Coach Knight because I know Coach Knight was a big fan of General George Patton from World War II and that's exactly I think where he, where where he felt most comfortable he was on that court he's leading his troops into battle and and he prepared him every day for that for that particular battle and none other than than the Purdue Boilermakers and led by the uh, 137th all-time assist leader Austin Parkinson so you had a hard-nosed mentality um that was pretty natural. You know, like you said, you played for your dad. That was, he was tough on you. You played for coach Knight. He was tough on you, but not everybody's wired that way. Your teammates, you know, probably took his coaching differently from time to time. How did you help those players that struggled to handle those demands and that level of criticism to be able to hear, you know, maybe the message, uh, but not maybe the way it was being said. You know what? Um, if you watch my boss right now, coach Izzo, 
uh, and you watch the games, mm-hmm. that's what you think you how he is in games is what you think you get every day and it's just not the case you know coach Izzo's hyped up during the games there's no doubt about it and that's the same as coach Knight but in practice generally very complimentary very an incredible teacher caring and and there was just a different personality to him and how he went about his business you know you might see a tirade in the game from coach Knight yes but most of the time calm collected in practice you know and and the the times that maybe he wasn't are the times that were captured on film and leaked out or mm-hmm. you know recording in a locker room after a game for the most part and I'm pretty sure you experienced this you know at at IUPUI in your job that when coaches talk to you and coach Knight would speak to you he was 99.9% of the time telling the truth mm-hmm. to you. And what what some kids and parents, especially nowadays, don't want to hear is the truth about their sons or daughters. Now, I'll agree that there's a way to, way to explain the truth. But the truth is the truth no matter how you say it. And that's generally the, 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 the part that that some of my teammates struggled with and for the most part it circled directly back to the parents or the person that was influencing the kid or the player or my teammate that's usually where it came from and I think as you look back especially you know in the transfers we don't have a lot of transfers at Michigan State but um, you'll find that most of the kids most of the players that decided to transfer have major regrets about transferring and look a struggle we all struggled during our careers it's it's uh, that's what life is all about I think that was one of coach Knight's strengths is teaching you how to fight through it and understand that if you can just do a couple things to help yourself you'll make your life a lot easier well one of the other things people may or may not know about you in Indiana, the university, you were a beloved player by the fans. Oh, let's stop right there. Okay, well, let's stop right there. What do you a do? beloved player? They loved you. They loved you. What I was getting ready to finish with is, but when you went on the road, you were one of the most hated players in the entire Big Ten, a la J.J. Redick when he was at Duke and would go on the road. So my question for you was, going on the road, knowing that you were going to get that kind of uh, you know, fan abuse and, and, and harass from the fans, what was that like going into games? And I'm guessing you probably loved it. I absolutely loved it. And the reason was is because I, I disrupted the game. I disrupted the game because I was constantly arguing with the refs. I disrupted the game because I was constantly harassing the opponent. And that's how that was my advantage. You know, for some reason, um, my offense deserted me when I got to college and I wanted to play and I wanted to win and I wanted to help my team and I wanted to help Indiana. And so I, I found a way to keep myself on the court and it was because of the little things and the constant, um, 
focus on being a great teammate and doing whatever it took to win. And, and that was usually, uh, was usually assigned to the other team's best guard and disrupting the other team, you know, was, was my focus and my specialty. And in doing so, I would usually disrupt the game and the fans hated that the opposing fans and I'd imagine some of the some of the Indiana fans probably probably drove them nuts but you know it's just the game within the game AP and and uh you know you think about the NBA you know there's each team will probably have a couple really really good players that are relied on to score but the rest of the team you know is generally role players and and uh they all have a niche and they all have their role and if they don't do it they don't play and that was you know, that wasn't much different than, than my role at Indiana, and that was just to do the little things that help a team win. And I think because the state of Indiana has uh, such a strong basketball tradition and background and a lot of the people are very knowledgeable, they could watch what I did and, and appreciate um, what I did for for those teams that I played on. And to, to use the term beloved is – Probably a little strong, but well, no, uh, I, I would I say think it, during my time it was uh, it was appreciated. Well, no, I would say that because I mean, again, I grew up in as a Purdue guy, and I remember being at uh, seeing you even from the stands as a Purdue uh, at the Purdue, you know, at Mackey Arena, and then seeing you in Assembly Hall, and Indiana fans appreciated that. And it was also you mentioned creating a, a role for yourself that was beneficial for the team, and and you disrupted the game. You were a glue player. You also also helped and were instrumental in that run to the final four. Tell the listeners what it's like to be part of a run to a final four in a championship game and just what that journey was and what it meant to you. You know, growing up, uh, you know, we talked about earlier in the, the uh, interview about um, the dream of playing for Indiana. I, I didn't really dream about the NBA. I dreamed of playing at Indiana. And I dreamed for, of playing for Bob Knight, and and everything came with that. And I remember writing Coach Knight a note after it was actually, I think it was right, right after we lost uh, to Purdue uh, at our place. Cornell hit a uh, game winner over the great Mike Lewis. Um, and I remember Coach Knight got us up at 5.30 in the morning, and, you know, I was mad. Uh, we were all mad, and... Uh, I was spouting off a little bit um, during that practice. Coach Knight was sick, and uh, he had one of those um, what, what, what were those wraps, those uh, spice spice wraps, or something wrapped around his neck the whole practice. <laughs> um, but I was spouting off, and I got thrown out of practice. And uh, I remember writing him a note and just telling him, you know, I came here to win a national championship for for Indiana and uh, I apologized to him and I told him I was completely committed to doing that and um, I wouldn't say that was the the moment but once I got to Indiana that's that's what mattered you know and I think that's what mattered for for many of the guys especially when when coach Knight was fired you know it was a rallying cry and we all rallied around um, each other and and Indiana to to you know do some damage within college basketball and so you know to to say it was a dream come true absolutely but um, I think if you talk to many people even people that weren't in college athletics you know college is generally the best time of people's lives and 
you know, take it a step further to, to, you know, to achieve your dream, what you grew up dreaming of doing. Um, it was, it was special. You know, I say the, the only thing that, that, that beats that is, is having kids and, and, uh, you know, but, but the rush that you get from both is, is pretty similar, but, uh, we, we didn't win it all, but we had a chance and, and, uh, we were there and, you know, the, the memories that I have will, will never leave. You know, we had that, uh, it was the year of 9-11, so they marched the flag out and you could still smell the jet fuel and you could smell the burns on the flag and it was a big flag. It was a flag that was hanging after uh, after the planes hit over uh, at the World Trade Center towers. And uh, just an incredible experience and the, the experience of a lifetime. I'm just not sure what could top that other than, you know, that the... The point in which you have kids, I just—I I don't think anything can top that because those are, those are the things you, you dream about. You don't dream about getting old, you know. You, you dream about, you know, your 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 young years, your you know your your college years, your pro years. If you if you dream about being a pro player, but you don't dream about getting old. So here we sit, AP, you and I, and now we're old. We've had kids. We're married. Uh, our bodies are falling apart. Well, at least mine is. Well, apparently yours is too with shoulder mine, surgery. Yeah, mine is too. Mine is too. Well, after you, you know, you finish your career at IU, which was a great career, and then you get into the coaching profession, um, you know, as a GA and a different role. And then you get an opportunity that doesn't come along very often. You become the head coach at age 25 at IPFW in Fort Wayne. You were basically given a blank, you know, canvas to kind of work with. The program really hadn't had too much success at that point. How overwhelming was it in that first year to be put in charge of a program, hire a staff, implement, you know, your your philosophy? Take us back to when you were 25 years old and given the reins to a, a Division One college program. Well, I give uh, the athletic director, Mark Pope, all the credit in the world. Um, Chancellor Mike Wartell, who ultimately signed off on it as well. Uh, there were a couple people in Fort Wayne that were very instrumental in, in helping me out. And um, once I got the, my feet on the ground, were able to provide some financial resources uh, to us. But, um, you know, I, I don't think I was really overwhelmed other than scheduling. Overwhelmed would mean that. Uh, you know, I knew exactly what I needed to do. And the the only thing that I knew I needed to do was was win. And, uh, you know, it took some great assistance, Jeff Tungate, Tony Jasek, um, to help me understand. And eventually Dan Beret, who was a GA with us and a manager with me when I was a GA and a player at Indiana. But uh, And then the great Austin Parkinson joined it. Were you with us for a year? Yeah, one year. But it took a great staff to really come together and and be able to project out that this is not going to be built in a year, two years, or three years, because there was so much turnover um, moving from a Division Two team to a Division One team, and then moving into a league. Uh, it was going to be a project, and the great thing that we had going was we had time. You know, Mark Pope, Chancellor Wartell, uh, eventually Tommy Bell, the new AD, they gave us time. And so um, 
the biggest issue was scheduling. You know, obviously recruiting is 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 a problem, and it's always a problem no matter where you're at. You just have to find the right players that fit your style, and then you got to get them. You got to convince them to come play for you. And so, um, you know, there, there there's a ton of there's a ton of things you could talk about that was that was a struggle mainly having to do with the financial resources, but that's part of it. That's part of starting a, you know, a young program and, and trying to build it. Well, you, uh, real quick though, I, but I think that's something you did really well. And I, I always use this as an example, you know, here at IUPUI and to other coaches. I thought the thing that you guys, the one year I was there, you always tried to maximize the resources that you did have and making it feel like it was a big time program. And that could be small details and little things when the kids came through the office. But I thought that set the tone for everything else. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. We, you know, we, we did do a good job of that. You know, Tony Jasic, Dan Beret, those guys, excuse me, uh, those guys did it, did a really good job um, keeping the focus on our players because it's easy to lose focus and, and get caught up in what you don't have. Okay. And, and, and uh, get caught up in, you know, when it all costs. But I think we all had an idea in mind that we're just gonna we're gonna ride this wave. We're gonna ride these young players that we've brought in, and and uh, you know incorporate a couple junior college players. And we kept the for we kept the focus on our players and and what they deserve. Okay, because it, it is a huge sacrifice, and it's a huge sacrifice uh, knowing that that. Uh, the cards are stacked against us at that time they were uh, be it not in a league so having no chance at an NCAA tournament or just be it uh, a young program without the resources that some of these other programs have and yet trying to convince them that they can compete with the likes of of uh, an Oral Roberts or you know we'd have to travel and do the guarantee games and play these huge you know these these programs like a Michigan State or a at Gonzaga um, and so uh, you know we, we did it we did a good job and then and then I'd be remiss to say that we, we could have did it we couldn't have done it without um, you know there were some really important people within the community the Doug McKibbins at uh, Glenbrook Dodge or, or Don Ayers Honda with John Doolahan or, or Todd Meeks <laughs> the great dentist of Fort Wayne and, and there, there's so many different people that that stepped up and really had no allegiance to IPFW you know these were just people in the community that wanted to help and they gave lots of money and more importantly they gave their time to help us and and again they had no allegiance they had no reason to other than they were willing to spend their own money to help us and and that allowed us to create a great environment and a winning environment for our players well you mentioned winning your team won each each season your team improved its record and won more than the year before and i wonder if, if you feel you know i really believe that you established the foundation of what it's 
like and what's needed to run a program and the the principles that it took. And as IPFW has gone on, Tony Jasic ended up taking over and now Kaufman's the head coach. And you've seen some of these big victories that they've had over the years. And maybe, you know, when they beat IU or when they've put together a 20 win season, what kind of satisfaction does that give you knowing that you kind of started all of that and, and really set the foundation for their future? Well, I, you know what, there, there'll always be a place in my heart for Fort Wayne, uh, the city and obviously the, the university and, uh, what, what, you know, aside from the things we discuss, we want to create a baseline for the program. We wanted to set things up for the future. Okay. Because we didn't expect to be there forever, but we wanted to set things up. We wanted to get, you know, some cars in place for staff members. We wanted to make it feel like, as you mentioned, a, a program that has the basics. And, you know, I mentioned automobiles, you know, comp cars for the, for the staff, um, offices, a locker room. We, when we first got there, we were sharing a locker room with the men's volleyball team. It was every other locker and we got our own locker room. Um, you know, they kind of screwed up on the indoor track, should have made it an arena mm-hmm. or at least a multi-use facility. But uh, I think they know their mistake now. So in 20 years, when they build the next facility, uh, they'll make it an, an arena for the or maybe a practice facility. But, uh, you know, there's a sense of pride because, you know, John Kaufman, the current coach, um always recognizes that always recognizes those that that came before him because i think he understands with working for tony and tony working for me you know what we went through and we share a bond from the standpoint that yes it's fort wayne and you know it's the universe we coached at but we know what what we were up against and uh John's taking the reins and it's the next step. And John has done a great job of taking Fort Wayne to the next step. And, you know, I I don't want to put too much pressure on John, but we're expecting championships in the coming years. And there's certainly a sense of pride in, in what he and his staff have done. You know, we, his staff last year were three guys that either played or worked for me and Ryan Sims and Ben Botts and John Scooter. Peckinpah and so uh, you know Ben's moved on to Ball State John's got his own head job at a Division 2 school and and uh, where the heck is he Pennsylvania West Virginia one of the two um, but working for a former uh, Fort Wayne um, Rudy Ovich a former um, uh, what do they call those SMB. guys S, uh, sports information director a great sports information director mind you so good I couldn't even remember the name of the, the, the title but uh <laughs> You know, it, well, hey, I, before we go, I, I want to talk about your Michigan State stuff. But I did have we, we asked the uh, audience to submit some questions. And I got a uh, question from Ben and Muncie. Uh, ben and Muncie asked uh, about a particular practice. If you remember, one of your players was hustling and fell awkwardly to the floor. And uh, you said, I, I hope you chipped your tooth uh, as he fell. I want to know what's your recollection of that story. And, uh, you know, what were you thinking in that moment? Well, we had a player and we'll just, we'll call him T-Rex because his arms were really short. (laughs) He was one of those guys that had those alligator arms or those T-Rex arms. And he was the king of false hustle. The ball would be way out of bounds and he would still dive for it. He did have a lot of fake dives. I'll give you that. Yeah. And uh, the problem I had with that particular play was... uh, 
it was a fake dive from what I believe into somebody's legs, even though the ball was nowhere close. And then the other problem I had with T-Rex is that every time he would do something, he'd always glance over to see if I was watching. <laughs> you know, he's one of those guys. Yeah. He had those wandering, wandering eyes like he'd clap and encourage the team and look over to see if I'm watching them. And so it, it might have been just out of, out of anger, out of frustration that, you know, you just you do that all the time. I hope maybe you chipped your tooth so you'll quit doing that. <laughs> I don't remember the story, but uh, I don't remember. But that's th- those were usually that was usually the case when I'd say something like that, and I would probably say it with a twinkle in my eye, with uh, T Rex fully knowing that I was mostly joking. Oh yeah, no, there was no question you were joking. It did get a good laugh, and you know we just like to answer the uh, listeners' questions. Absolutely. Uh, on a more serious note, though, you you made uh, a. a in my mind, a pretty tough, uh, you know, decision. I mean, there's so many division one head jobs out there. Your program had improved every single year. And then you were given this opportunity to, to work with someone I know you respected and is, is one of the legendary coaches uh, in our profession and coach Izzo. What was it like, um, making that decision to, uh, join his staff and, and give up the, that head coaching job and everything that you'd kind of built at that point? Well, would you have wanted to coach John Peckinpah in his senior year? <laughs> Possibly not, but uh, it had to be a little bit more to it than that. Well, you know, the truth is when I was 22 and I just had graduated college, um, finished playing, was getting ready to play in the CBA, but I sent Coach Izzo a note and we kept in touch after, um, you know, after high school. But And it was amazing. He called me you know, two or three days later. And he, I think he said it in jest, but knowing him, he probably meant it. He said, you know, I'd, I'd love for you to work, you know, coach, coach with me someday. And, and I never forgot that. And what impressed me more was that here I was, a high school senior, telling coaches, oh, no, I don't want to come play at Michigan State. And yet four or five years later here he was calling me saying he'd love to have a chance to work with me and so it taught me a, a huge lesson in, in don't hold grudges which something that I was well known to do but um, it taught me a huge lesson from that standpoint but it also um, it gave me the confidence to know that you know I, I could be something in this business or at least uh, give it a, give it a heck of a shot and uh, so when that job came came open and I'd kept in touch with him and he was also someone that made it you know an instrumental phone call to Mark Pope the AD at Fort Wayne that I think made a huge impact on on Mark and especially in in the hiring process and so I kept in touch with him he came and spoke at a golf outing fundraiser that we held at, at Fort Wayne and. And he told me, you know, if he ever gets a spot open, he'd, he'd strongly consider me. So when his spot came open, um, you know, to me, it was it was an easy decision because we'd been at Fort. How many years was I there? Six, seven? Yeah, I, think right I was at Fort Wayne for six, six years. And uh, I felt like we'd done all we could. You know, we 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 got him to 18 and 12. Um, it doesn't sound great on the surface, but, um, you know, if you really dig into it, it's a pretty damn good job that, that our, our guys did. You know, I don't take much credit. Our players did a heck of a job. And, 
give some credit to the staff too. But um, I felt like I, it was it was hard to take it to the next step, and that they needed some some you know a new signal caller in there, a new quarterback to run the ship, <laughs> new quarter, <laughs> new captain to run the ship. Uh, but no, I, I felt like they needed some new blood in, in there, and and I'd done all I could. Uh, for the most part and and uh, more importantly this is an incredible opportunity to come and work as you said one a coaching legend I mean the guys in the hall of the Naismith Hall of Fame you know not the Austin Parkinson uh, Kokomo Hall of Fame but the, the Naismith Hall of Fame and and uh, you know I just finished year seven and and uh, looking forward to, to year eight and still very happy and comfortable with where I'm at in my coaching career and uh, still, as I said, I'm still learning and still loving every bit of it. How's your role shifted? You know, when you first got there, you mentioned you'd been in this head coaching seat for, you know, six straight years and now you move over to the assistant position. But over this time in seven years, I'm sure your role has shifted and, and grown in different ways. How has it changed? Well, one of the things that Coach Izzo is known for is to give his staff more or less full reign on on every part of the of this of this business and so um you know that's so so his coaches don't get pigeonholed into a primary recruiter a primary uh offensive coordinator and so um i think that um it's it's hard to get complacent when when you have a when you have a a hand in everything that we do um, whether it's a meeting on a budget or a recruiting meeting or, um, you know, a meeting with a, with a set of parents that, that uh, you know, either are being recruited or their, or their student athletes already here. So, um, as you know, recruiting changes by the minute. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the rules, the, com- the compliance is constantly changing and, and uh as of August 15th, there's a whole bunch of new rules coming into play. So, um, you know, to say my role has changed from year one to year seven, um, it's hard to really pinpoint it. You know, it's like you not seeing me for two years. You're probably going to see that I've uh, put on some muscle and uh, got rid of my dad bod, and you wouldn't notice that other than the fact that you weren't with me for two years. So, um, to sum it up, uh, it's hard to really pinpoint an exact um, thing that that uh, where where my role has changed, but uh, just the normal changes in in uh, recruiting as as well as um, compliance is is something that's really um, become more important as these years have gone on in in this business. One of the things I asked you after your first year of working with Coach Izzo was about the amount of video that you guys watch and and for the listeners Michigan State was kind of the uh, initial on the cutting edge of utilizing film to scout opponents and and utilize to benefit their team and I know that they still you guys still use that uh, quite a bit and are one of the best in college basketball let the listeners know exactly you know the the mad science behind all the video you guys watch well you know, I, I think I always talk about Coach Knight in this program. And because I know Coach Izzo has great respect for him. I know that um, we always, when I was a player at Indiana, we always played Michigan State very well. Uh, 
And the reason I figured out is because we can show our guys film. Okay. We can give them the best cone drills in the history of cone drills. Uh, we can, we can prepare, 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 but if your guys aren't paying attention to the detail, you're going to struggle. And so the accountability part is, is most important. Um, I think nowadays everybody's got access to plenty of film. Um, you know, they're going to walk through the other team's plays, but, um, the accountability part is, is most important is getting your players to understand that you know, winning is in these minute details of, of of a scouting report of a certain set that a team might run of, um, you know, a trigger. A trigger would be, you know, where the ball's passed. If they go left, what what's usually going to happen? And that's something that um, that I was accustomed to um, when I when I when I arrived at uh, Michigan State and. Um, it's very similar to the way that that Coach Knight would utilize film, and but as far as you know, you mentioned the, the term cutting edge. Uh, there, there's uh, there's pro teams that send their video coordinators to Michigan State to see what we do as far as um, film and which companies we work with, and you know how we take it simply as taking a game from TV and breaking it down. You know, and now we have uh, companies like Synergy and Huddle that are uh, doing all that for us and for a certain fee. Um, you know, I remember when I was a video coordinator at Indiana, we were still doing uh, VHS deck to deck. And, and Dusty May, who's now the head coach at uh, Florida Atlantic, he was, you know, right there when we decided to purchase Sports Tech, which was computer based and and DVD and and uh, so it's it's amazing how far that stuff has come. But then you come to Michigan State and you know we're always staying at the forefront of of all those things of all the technology. And matter of fact, I'm looking at a flat screen TV that needs to be updated. It's uh, it's a little too uh, it's a little too thick for me. Well, you need to put that in the uh, maybe put that in your contract bonus. Get you a nice nice new flat screen. Not a bad idea. One of the other things that everybody knows when they watch Michigan State play is the physicality and the pace uh, that Coach Izzo likes to play. Take us behind the scenes in practice, you know, daily. How, how does, you know, how does one create that for, you know, from October through March um, on a daily basis and the, the, the amount of physicality their, their bodies are put through? Um, you know, we see with the product on the floor, what goes on behind the scenes? Well, I think that uh, for the most part, the physicality aspect is, is comes from the type of players that you recruit. And, um, you know, if you think about the three things that matter to Michigan State, uh, it's defend, rebound, and, and run. And all those things, you know, involved serious exertion of your, of your body. And more importantly, it involves commitment. It involves commitment from our, our student-athletes off the court, keep their bodies well-maintained, stay in shape, get their rest, eat right, um, eliminate the distractions for themselves. But, you know, and then you get to the commitment on the court. And I think really it's commitment from the staff 
to demand it every day. And the demand part is um, sticking with those core principles as it relates to X's and O's is if we do those things then and we get that as our baseline then then we can really coach them because all those things are effort related it doesn't take much brains to to do that with exception with exception to you know elements of the defensive part but those are effort related and when you teach your kids that you're going to be relentless on them playing hard, then they're going to get better. They're going to get better at the things that they want to get better at, which is generally the offense. You know, you run, you score. If you know how to come in and work hard and, you, and you hold, you're able to hold yourself and your teammates accountable, you're going to get better at the things that you want to get better at, better at if you'll get better at the things that we want you to get better at. Well, you mentioned the offensive part of things, you know, the pace. You said rebound and run, rebound and run. And coaches, those teams have always pushed it down the other team's throat. But if they don't have it, you guys like to run a set. I'm always impressed and intrigued by you seem to have a lot of sets and your guys seem to make the right reads. That can't be easy. How how do you get them to dial in and be able to know that many plays? Well, we don't really have that many plays. We've got wrinkles off of plays, but... Uh, we really don't have that many plays and we've got less and, and that's one thing that's changed is we have we've had less and less now because they're these kids nowadays their ability to read uh, let's just say we're, we're really getting a different product and we're getting a different product because kids aren't playing organized basketball and, and what I mean by that is they're not they're not in a system they're not playing in a system long enough to learn um, each other's role and the value of role players and and stars and uh, you know their high school team isn't playing enough um, there's not enough up and down there's not enough to where they're learning to play roles and so we're getting players and all they know how to do is play with the ball mm-hmm. so we've really shrunk down even even our our set list and uh, we're dealing with the product that we get. It's not that we're getting a worse product. We're getting a different product and we're in the era of um, elite cone specialists, guys that really know how to set up cones. No, I want to ask you that. I want stop there. I want to ask you that because when you said different, what are your thoughts on this? Because it seems like every kid now has a trainer. Everybody's got a trainer and a lot of the trainers, like you said, they're grabbing a cone, toss a tennis ball, go around a chair, shoot a layup. And then we get kids in our program sometimes that maybe just heel toe footwork struggle. How much do you feel like you have to sometimes go backwards on the fundamentals of the game versus that maybe 10 years ago? You know, as I said, I I just don't think the players are playing enough. They're not playing five on five enough. And when they do, it's usually, um, you know, just stand around and wait to see who's getting the ball next and then it's time to play or a ball screen. You know, we're, we're struggling to find kids. You know, we got a kid named Aaron Henry who plays for one of the great, who played for one of the great coaches in, in, in Indiana at any level and Mark James at, at Ben Davis and now he's at Perry Meridian. But um, uh, Aaron knows how to play and he sticks out like a sore thumb even with some of our guys in open gym because he absolutely knows how to play. You watch him move without the ball. You watch him defend. Um, those are characteristics that are missing because most kids only know how to play with the ball now. And I think that, yes, 
trainers, you know, there's, there's some great trainers out there. There's some great trainers in Indianapolis. You know, Chris Thomas would be, would be one of them. You know, he's worked with Gary Harris. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem as I see it is there's, there, there needs to be a balance. And, uh, so, so I think right now, you know, we're getting, we're seeing kids, they're starting to stop playing AAU. I'd start to stop. I mean, they're, they're, they're backing away from AAU and, and doing this skill development. Uh, and I think what they need to be doing is, is playing with their high school teams where they understand the value of, of being double teamed or being watched by the other five players on the court. And they're going to have to move without the ball and make some decisions that create better scoring, scoring opportunities for them. And then, you know, on the defensive end, uh, having to play and, and play without getting fouls and, and really dig down and defend. You know, we're seeing that too, where kids are struggling to understand the defensive concepts because they're so used to just having to play and not foul and, and, you know, it's okay to let the other team score. Dane, is there a difference, you know, at your level, being a top 10 program consistently, top five program consistently in the country? Now one and dones are in play quite a bit. Um, and, and they're obviously, you know, when kids come in, you have a great idea of which kids those are. Does it change your approach as a staff on what you're going to try to get out of that kid or teach that kid in the year or two that they're there based on maybe a kid that you know is going to have four years to develop? Well, I think I'd say the general rule of thumb is is if you're going to go the one and done route, um, you better go all in. You know, like a Duke or a Kentucky, um, there are there are a couple programs, and I think we're one of them that can sustain it. Um, we've got a pretty good model going, uh, where we insulate ourselves to guard against you know a Jaron Jackson who was incredible for us in the one year that he was here. You know, a Miles Bridges that was was two and done. Um, Deontay Davis was one and done. I think we've done a pretty good job of of getting kids in here that you know, essentially are, are in it for the long run and understand that they're probably not going to be a one or two and done and probably not a three and done. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's pure coincidence. You know, we, we talk about it a lot as a staff here at Michigan State there, you know, we, we've got to be able to project out, you know, much like all coaches do. Uh, but as you said, that's that's a I wouldn't call it a problem, but it's it's certainly something that we have to prepare for in every kid that we think about recruiting and uh, constantly have to be gauging um, where we're at as a program, you know, in, in the next year, the following year and then the next year, because it's it's only going to I'd say it's only going to get worse because these new rules are allowing for kids to uh, test the waters easier. And in many cases, kids that have no business trying to go pro are going to end up trying to go pro. Yeah, I definitely think there's going to be some some massive changes, um, you know, on the table. Uh, a couple questions. We're out of here. Last last thing about Michigan State. You guys play one of the toughest schedules in the country uh, every single year. I mean, you know, it comes out in, in the Michigan State schedule. And you're like, holy cow, there it's murder's row every year. Do you guys as a staff ever sit back and, and say, you know what, we maybe need to dial this back or, you know what, this is this is the model. This is what we're going to do. And, and, you know, 
we're going to we're going to play through these difficult games and coach Izzo is legendary for playing a, a game out in Hawaii and then coming back uh, and playing a you know another top 5 team you know within a week and and what those challenges provide you know coach Izzo says he's going to dial it back every year but every year it's the same story and the same story is is twofold you know one it's that well, here we go. We got another great schedule. And, you know, in the back of his mind, he's saying, what have I done? But the other part is he made a promise to Mateen Cleaves, you know, way back. In- that's, that's loud. He made a promise to Mateen Cleaves. That's it's still loud. Sorry. Don't do it again. You're still doing it. The other promises he made to Mateen Cleaves, and, and that is uh, – that they were going to play a tough schedule. They're going to play at all the best places. And, uh, you know, this year's no different. We go to Gainesville. Uh, we go to Louisville. Um, we've got, you know, two Big Ten games. We've got uh, – we're in a four-team tournament with Carolina, Texas, and um, UCLA out in Vegas. You know, it's it's uh, it's another one of those schedules that's that's – very difficult and it looks great on the front end but it always doesn't look uh, so great on the back end when the season's over and uh, that's usually when Coach Izzo says uh, what it, you know I'm not going to do that again but you know here we go again so um, I think one of the concepts is that we want to play a team from each conference so when it's NCAA tournament time we'll have faced you know a, a team of, of uh, you know each each conference tends to have a style or at least in theory it does and, and so that's one thing we want to do but you know Coach Izzo's a huge basketball junkie he he lives it so um, he lives it and and so uh, you know he likes to play at Fog Allen or um, or um, you know Pauley Pavilion or or the Dean Dome and and so those are those are things that that uh, you know that you still can do that you're still able to do and you know I think for the most part it's it's worked out in Michigan State's favor as it as you got into March Madness and uh, it's something that that I've noticed that's that certainly has given these kids an unbelievable experience as they as they go through their college careers. Well, I think that's why Coach Izzo's teams have always been known to play the best basketball in March. And and I know as a fan, I enjoy, you know, watching uh, those matchups, you know, in the non-conference schedule. Let me get you out of here on this question. Um, you've got a, a rich basketball history. You've had a chance to, at every level, work with and play with, uh, play for uh, extraordinary coaches. Your dad, uh, you know, Coach Knight, um, and now working with Coach Izzo. What do you want to see from yourself? Where, how do you want to grow as a coach uh, in this upcoming season in the next three to five years? Well, I'd be lying to say if I that I wasn't interested in, in getting a team of my own, a program of my own again. But uh, you know what? I think one of the hardest things is I looked at some jobs in the in the past in the past couple of years and been offered some. The hardest thing is is. Um, it's an unbelievable school. It's uh, the athletic department. It's it's something that I've never witnessed, and it it is the perfect model that I'd love to model my own program or an athletic department or a school after. And and uh, you know, it's it's mom and pop from the sense that it it's got such a great small town feel that you know you got everybody 
everybody going in the same direction from the professors to the to the coaching staff to the athletic department it's it's a, it's a pretty neat feel and and you do that with the right people you do that with the right people in 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 the right positions and and unbelievable support uh, it's no secret as to why football wins or 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 um soccer wins or, or basketball wins here. It's it's no secret. If you come and spend, you know, two days a week, it's no secret. Uh, so it'd be, it'd be a hard place to leave uh, from that standpoint. The other part is um, we've done a really good job of bringing in the right kids. And, and the right kids mean that, you know, good students um, committed, to, committed to the game, committed to winning, committed. They love the game. But more importantly, you got kids that are, are committed to Michigan State in, in the sense that, um, you know, when Coach Izzo hired me, one of the things he said is that I was dying to be here. And that really, really attracted them. And that's what we're, we're getting here is kids that really, really, really are dying to play for Michigan State and, and be part of this culture. And so, you know, what am I looking forward to in the next couple of years? Uh, obviously, we're expected to go to Final Fours here. We're expected to, you know, to win a championship, and you know that's something that's that's still the ultimate goal. But where it's changed for me is, yeah, it's great on the resume, and it feels great to win a championship. But um, you know, you, you have a sense of that that you owe something. You owe something to the school. You owe something to the former players. You owe something to the players of the past, the Draymond Greens, the Magic Johnsons. You know, those are the easy ones. Um, but there's so many former players and managers that come back here and, you know, are fully vested in what can I do to help? And so, so there's a sense that you're, you're, you're playing for something way bigger than a resume builder or a bonus or, um, you know, a trophy. You're playing for a, a huge uh, family that, that loves and appreciates everything it, that you do through the through the tough losses and the and the and the and the great wins. And so that that's really what I'm looking forward to. And and then East Lansing is a great place to raise a family. And, and that's you know from a fatherhood standpoint, that's uh, one thing that um, you know would make it hard to leave as well. Well, I know Coach Izzo, um, I'm sure, enjoys having you around and appreciates uh, what you bring to Michigan State. Um, you know, I know for me personally, you gave me the first opportunity. I was a GA at the University of Indianapolis, and you gave me uh, an opportunity to be on your, your staff that first year. And uh, for me, and uh, it, was a, it was a cool experience. And greatly appreciate you joining the podcast today. And we look forward to, you know, seeing Michigan State in the Final Four again here soon. I like where your head's at, AP. Best wishes to you and your program. We want we want league titles. Let's go. That's the plan. All right, Coach Fife, appreciate it. Thanks a lot. You bet. Special thanks to Coach Fife for joining the podcast this week. Enjoyed our chat and getting to hear about his career and kind of the future of Michigan State basketball. And I have no doubt uh, with Coach Izzo at the helm and the recruits they're bringing in, they will be back in a Final Four soon. And we can expect uh, uh, the best from Michigan State in March, as we always do. Don't forget to go to iTunes. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Rate us. Leave us feedback. Uh, We'd love to hear that. Again, thanks for joining us this week, guys. And uh, everybody have a great week.